and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now... Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us today for another incredible episode. But before we get to today's guest, I'd like to share a bit about myself. So my day job is that I work as an executive coach and a mental performance coach. And I founded a company called Strong Skills. And at Strong Skills, our team is on a mission to change how the world thinks about soft skills. See, we are facilitators and coaches, and we truly believe that labeling competencies like leadership, teamwork, and communication as soft devalues and minimizes the importance of these skills. And one of the strong skills that we teach is what we call shift your mind. And the teachings come from my book, which came out in October of 2020. If you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our past guests, then know you're going to love the book. You can head over to Amazon or anywhere books are sold to purchase, and you can even listen to the audiobook via Audible. Thanks to all of you who have already purchased, and I've been truly overwhelmed by the response the book has gotten so far. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our previous episodes, we'd love it if you went over to iTunes and wrote us a review. It really helps us expand our reach for the podcast. Thanks to all of you who have already done so, and let's continue to share these intentional performers with the world. Now to today's guest. Jared Freed is a comedian, he's a podcaster, he's a writer, he's a TV host, and perhaps he may be best known at this point for his Netflix comedy special, Jared Freed, 37 and Single. I watched it over the holidays and loved it. I watched it with my family. And I've been watching Jared really since he got started in comedy. We have a mutual friend who he referenced quite a bit in today's show. And he brought me to see Jared and he just has the humor that I love. And so I talk about that quite a bit. And we talk about Jared's journey and how he developed his style and really learned the mechanics of stand-up comedy. So he's going to give you a behind-the-scenes look at what it takes to be a comedian and his approach and what he's done to build his brand. And we do talk about branding and marketing and media and the future of media and what he's done to try to 
build his platform. And I think there's a lot to learn there. He's also performed on TV. He's been on the Today Show. He's been on the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. So certainly he has been on some big stages and arenas around the country. And the last thing I'll say is Jared is authentic. He's genuine. So there are going to be a lot of F-bombs in today's conversation. If you have kids, this is your warning. Maybe this isn't the episode for them to listen to. Uh, So there is some explicit F-bomb language in today's conversation. And at the end of the day, as I said, I think Jared is just a really genuine guy. And that's why his comedy and his approach to comedy, I think, resonates with such a range of people. He has women that love to watch him. He does a lot of stuff on the show The Bachelor, and then he'll go over and do stuff with the NFL Network and spend time really cultivating audience that may lean more male. So whether whatever you are as you listen to today's conversation, I think you're going to love Jared's approach. I think his mindset is really interesting when he talks about how he sets his mind for preparation and for performance. So hopefully there is something to learn for all of us. So here is Jared Freed. Jared, thank you for coming on the podcast. I have been following your career, I think, since right after college. Uh, We have a mutual friend, Drew Carr, who has plenty of an ego. So we're going to boost his ego a little more and just thank him for uh, introducing us. Uh, And Drew, I remember, dragged me to one of your comedy shows and I was on the floor laughing. And uh, since then, like your humor, I think different comedians hit different people different ways, but I love your humor. I find it hilarious, enjoyable, fun, light. Um, And your Netflix special was also spectacular. So I watched it with my family when I was down in Florida, which maybe we'll talk about in today's conversation. Um, But where I figured we would start is you go to Penn State with the Drew Cars of the world. I know some of your other friends. Uh, they go into finance. They go into real estate. Um, I think you started in insurance. Can you take us to the point where you said, you know what, I'm going to give this a go. I want to try writing comedy uh, and what that point was like for you. Um, well, thank you. I appreciate um, all the kind things you said. It's great to be here. Um Car, yep, we have to give him credit for bringing us together. Thank you, Drew Carr, for getting me up at 9 a.m. after doing shows till 12.30 in the morning to do Brian's podcast. Um, I I was, I went to Penn State. You know, I have a pretty normal, pretty, you know, normal background, you know from outside of a major city, from outside of Boston, from a suburb of Boston. And then I go to Penn State, state school. Um, I have fun. I meet my friends there. And then you, then it's like, okay, what am I going to do? And I, I never really thought, I, you know, I feel stupid now. Like, even when I went to Penn State, like I went for that magical millennial reason of like for the experience for the college experience like you know that was like kind of like said a lot and no one said that sounds stupid and now that's like to me that sounds pretty stupid to there's you know and some people would they're maybe listening to this and going uh, who would go to college just for the experience i was like i want to go to a big football school and be a part of that thing you know that you see on tv so i you know i'm, I'm easily marketed to i'm 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 the kid who applies to the school that's in the national championship, I guess. And then what, I what go, do you think should be, what should people go to college for? I think that's, well, that's an interesting question. I think you have to rank 
you know, the money has to play into it. You know, can you afford it? Are you going to be in debt? You're the investment. And, you know, that's something that I think Gen Z is a little bit more aware of. You know, I think that when they go to college, I think their parents are a little more aware of like, hey, like you're we're going to let, we're investing in you. Like, I didn't really have that understanding. I think of it that way now. Maybe my kids will be like annoyed at me because I think of it that way now. Like, I'm like, like to me, Penn State, like not, I loved my experience. And then when I meet someone who's like Penn State proud, I'm like, did you make, fr like, I hope you're proud of your friends. I like yeah, the idea of like, 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 I think that person's kind of stupid. You know, like there's like five schools that matter on a resume, like five. The other schools matter to like other people. Went, oh, oh, you went, you went to the first, you know, oh my God, you know, arts fest. Like those are things I can connect with some on a level with someone. But like, you know, if someone says they went to Stanford, I'm like, whoa, whoa, put out the white tablecloth, you know, like it's a different thing. So I don't think this is not my brochure to go to Penn State, obviously. But I like, where did you go? I went to Syracuse right, right in. Right in the same Syracuse, real house. Go to new house. I wasn't smart enough to go to new house. There we go. That's all I care about. You know, like <laughs> I, you know, and like I, I don't want to be mean to the Syracuse people, but like I looked at Syracuse. You know, like I, I saw that. You know, that fun gray town. You know that. No, would, I mean, would, you're this. You're. I walked into the Carrier Dome with my parents, and I looked at my dad, and he looked at me, and we looked at my mom, and she goes, "Are you guys kidding me?" And then. uh like, yeah, a big part of going to Syracuse was the experience that you're talking right. about. And I agree with you. I think outside of, you know, a few schools, like they're all pretty similar. And then to your point, there's a financial component that you have to think about. Uh, you can also go to a community college for two years and then transfer into a lot of different schools. So each person, it's different for each person. Well, it's different for everyone in their, you know, whatever their like situation is. But I guess that's like. You know, when I got out of college, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I didn't have a lot of direction. I just was like, I want to move to New York City. I want to be around other young, motivated people. And that's it. I want to be around young hustlers and women. So I went to New York and I started selling life insurance and was just kind of like sitting, figuring out like that was never a thought at 22 that that was going to be the rest of my life. And then I spent most of my days writing funny emails to friends and being, you know, at that time, like the group email was like, what directed you to your weekend? And, oh, what's happening this weekend? Like you said you were in Arlington. I'm sure you were on very similar emails, Arlington specific. What's the plan this weekend? And the whole week was emails of everyone just fucking with each other. And when I wrote an email that would like make fun of someone or a friend, and then they would go off email to tell me how much they were laughing at their desk. I was like, this is like drugs to me. This is the best part of my day. So that's the first time you got introduced to comedy in your in your mind? Like in my mind, as as far as like making me happy, you know, like, you know, in our fraternity, you know, my buddies and I, my my buddy Erwin and I, like we would do like looking back, like we would do like basically mess with people like small sketches like in our room like you know like that was like what we did all day you know and but and like just laughing and having a good time like you know to me you know looking back i'm like oh you know i loved making people laugh and like i loved getting a reaction out of people but like i never really thought of it that way because it was never 
you know, the idea of like going into comedy, like that's not something like you, you, uh, you know, when you start doing this, you realize very quickly, like the people that are like the people that are like supportive without needing reasons and the people that will never see you once and it's over um, or see your first joke and that's all they remember about you. And then it's done. They see you a certain way. Um, and Jared, you is there is there a traditional path to go when you're let's say you're a 16 year old kid and you love comedy and you know you watch SNL or whatever it is like is there any traditional path that you've run into with the people that you interact with when it comes to comedy there's people you know you have certain types uh there's like the there's like the stand-up comedy fan nerd who knows every special and can reference that there, there's that type that gets in the stand-up there's the actor who wants a way to like act so they're like you know there's some kids go to like performing arts school like i i mean i meet more of those people than i even i didn't even know performing arts school was a thing and now i meet people where i'm like man that person can move on stage and then you find out that they've been in performing arts school since 14 years old like you know you find out that they've been around uh, you know i think like sometimes for me going into stand-up was embarrassing like it was like you know like what are you doing and then i turned it into grad school like i left my job i started i signed up for sketch writing i signed up for improv i said i i made my own performing arts school like uh i i i went to a stand-up comedian and i asked him for advice i would like give him money for like an hour just to talk to me and like tell me what to do like kind of you know certain little things that would save me time you know like you know in the beginning you go to open mics so like you'll have pe there's people that prey off of people who want to get into comedy there's like there's and i don't think they're bad i guess the way i'm talking about it makes some bad people but like there's people that like see someone who like really wants to be a stand-up comedian they're 23 years old and they're going to an open mic and they say Hey, if you bring five of your friends, you can perform at this big time club. And that that 23-year-old goes, wow, that's my opportunity. And then you realize that's not really an opportunity. That's just that person getting you and your five friends at the club. And you get a nice picture. And now with social media, like you can delude yourself into believing you're doing it. And you can have a picture of you up at the comedy cellar. But what does that mean? What did that get you? It might have gotten you likes, but it didn't get you in at the comedy cellar. So like you have in the beginning, it can be very confusing because you're like, what matters? And and really what matters is the work. Um, and there's someone that's like making a TikTok right now that's going to get a million views today. And they would hear this and they'd be like, Jared, you fucking idiot. No, you know, the, the work is stupid. Go on TikTok get a bunch of followers, then you can go on the road and we'll worry about the jokes later. I think that's a backwards way to look at it. I don't think that makes you a stand-up comedian. And I think that makes you a person with an audience that can sell some tickets, you know? So I, I and I'm not saying, I guess I'm saying I'm better than those people, but I'm saying like becoming a stand-up comedian, which is what I want, which is what I, I think really makes everything else I do funnier than most. Um, takes a lot of like, you know, footwork. You have to go leave the house. You have to go on stage, you know, when you do, sta especially stand-ups. But like, you realize very quickly that like, most people can name five stand-up comedians. Five, there's like five that can tour 
and just tour alone to make a living, you know? So you're like, okay, well, how, and then the great, you know, the internet is there and I'm a huge Bill Simmons fan. And I'm, I'm reading Bill Simmons on ESPN in college. And then in, as I get out of college and I'm like, I'm seeing, I'm like, man, I'm a fan of this guy through the internet. Like I'm not a fan of him through the paper. I'm not a fan of, and then, so I, I was like, well, maybe I could have something like that. And he would put out a weekly column. So I started putting out weekly columns and like reaching out to like online publications with followings that, that had followings that were like my friends and I in college. And I was like, Hey, I'll, if I write for you, will you promote it? Promote me, put out my socials. And so that was like during the day I had the ability, I'm very lucky to have the ability to do that because at the time I had some savings, I had some bar mitzvah savings and I could go and like take these classes and do grad school in the way, you know, no one asks a, a, someone in law school, how are you going to pay for it? You know, like, but uh, stand up comedian, they're like, what are you doing? And it's like, well, the same way your friend's going to law school, I'm going to do fucking sketch writing, you know? So I, I did that type of stuff. So then I start doing open mics and, all these other things while at night and then during the day writing and finding ways to get people to know who I am. I want to go back to that real quick. Is the vision here? All right. Stand-up comedy is where I want to go. I'm going to practice. I'm going to get advice. I'm going to learn the craft and I'm also going to create content along the way. So the pinnacle for you was stand-up comedy. Was that part clear when you quit the insurance job? It's like, all right, I want to be a stand-up comedian. And then all this Not other as- stuff. Yeah. Not as clear. I my goal was to be funny for money, mm. plain and simple. I you know I like. I remember telling my parents I'm gonna like do comedy. My dad was like, "So you want to be like?" At the time, like we watched Thirty Rock. He's like, "Oh, so you want to be one of like the guys at the table writing at Thirty Rock?" And I'm like, "Like on the TV show, like they had like the the cast of characters at the writers' table. If anyone watched that show." And I was like, "Yeah, that's what I want. I'm gonna go knock on." 30 rocks door and they're going to be like, come on in and write for us. Um, I wish it were, if it were as simple as that, that's probably what I would have done, you know, like, but it, it was ne- that door never opened for me. So you kind of just keep knocking on doors and figure out what's the thing that works for me. For me, podcasting was such a great opportunity because I could go direct to consumer and you can put out a show you know, you, you can literally do any show you want with podcasting, no directors, no editors. And so I was always looking towards that. So I started doing podcasting like 11 years ago and at, which feels at the time felt late. I remember going on a bachelor party, uh, bro Bible was a, uh, like a return. It was like bro Bible and, um, what's it called? Total frat move. Total frat move had a million Twitter followers. When you're 23, you're like trying to get away from like, when you're 25 at the time, 26, you're trying to get away from like, I was in a frat, you know, like I think Drew and I and our friends always understood that we were like the joke. Like we understood the joke about frat guys being big, dumb idiots. Like when we were in college, we would chant the word chance. Like, we knew the joke. And I think that's what made our, you know, group of friends, you know, somewhat special is that we weren't like sitting there being like, you know, yelling about how great our fraternity was. We were more making fun of the idea of someone yelling about how great their fraternity was. At least that's the joke I was doing, you know, that I I felt like we were doing. So 
at the time I go to, I go to total frat move and I start writing articles for them. But like, I basically was on a bachelor party in Austin for our friend Thunder Dan and everyone was on a boat in Lake Travis. And I took a cab. There wasn't even Uber at the time. I got in a cab from the boat early in the day one day and I went to total frat move and they had seen me on the internet and I was like, had a meeting with them. And I was like, Hey, I want to start a podcast for you guys with the idea that like they have a million Twitter followers. And they were, I was like, you guys promote it. I'll put, I'll find a studio. I'll host it. I'll put a show together. And if we make money, because I, at the time, not, not a lot of podcasts were making money, but I was like, money should come in. This is a, this is a revenue, revenue ad source. We'll all split it up. We'll get some money. And they were like, what's a podcast? So I was like, perfect. And then I go on the bachelor party. I come back to New York city. I found a studio. I put all these people together. Now we're starting a podcast and it starts as like, you know, that it starts as the total frame podcast, the TFM podcast, but I'm like doing my thing. Like it's, I'm in New York. Like I'm just like promoting my New York comedy friends. And then, you know, now 11 years later, it's called the J train podcast. It's a very different thing. And I have like, people that'll come up to me they're like you're the one that introduced me to like new york comedy to podcasting like it's very it's which is very cool but like it also drives me a bit nuts because my goal was always get them you know i wasn't looking to show people a new you know media source i wanted them to like the jared freed show so that's tough that you kind of have to like eat it a bit and you know, I, and I, again, like I put a lot out there and like, it's nice. Like, and what ended up happening is, you know, TFM total frat movie, you can imagine is a male place, very male audience. And I started taking emails and giving advice. P men would write in for dating advice. Cause they heard that I was going through dating stuff. And then as people wrote in for advice, again, they realized that like, yeah, I'm on TFM podcast, but like, just like, in our fraternity days, the joke, understanding the joke, like I'd give people real thoughtful advice, you know, like, like the thoughtful had to come first, then you could be funny once they trusted you. And that's a little bit backwards to what people would believe, but that's kind of how I would always, tr I, I, that's how along the way I learned to do it. And then women started listening to podcasts when serial started the murder mysteries, like, and as women started listening, they started like really coming over to my stuff. And, you know, they, they really, their emails were so much better than the male emails. They were like thoughtful. And then like, I had like a opinion on it. Cause I could put myself in the shoes of the man that they were dealing with. And as that was happening, you know, I started um, getting to know the, the women who started Betches and then they bring me into their, universe and we start a podcast together called the you up podcast and you know this is all to say that like i do a lot of things and my goal is to make someone laugh and you know that was always the goal is to make a living making people laugh and like so that's like the vision but like stand up is like the most uh is the thing that like i know i'm probably best at and i'm also like um and kind of what gets me thinking about w what I want to say. When you do stand up, how do you determine success? 
Um, different ways. I mean, it depends on where the show is because success is always, did you kill or not kill? Plain and simple. And that's a pretty, you can't deny that. You can't really, you either did or you didn't. Um, based on the know laughter, it, based on the audience, the energy, what you're feeling. Laughter, laughs. Like, that's the thing with like, when people get mad at comedians, especially like the one that they, that gets me, you know, I don't believe canceling exists. I think that's like a talking point for people. Like, I just think that's like the mo the people I know that got canceled, they're all richer than they were before they got canceled. So I, I think that's kind of a fallacy. Um, I would, but when people get mad at standups, it makes me frustrated. Cause I'm like, no comedian goes on to be like, like the worst type of comedian is like, yeah, I made you think about it, didn't I? And it's like, no, 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 no. He did. I'm that's here no, to laugh. <laughs> yeah, there's no, that's no comedian's goal is yeah. like, oh, I'm gonna, I, I made you, I turned you, your opinions on their ass. So that's not a, a comedian's goal is like laugh. And then, oh, that was like, a, I can't believe I laughed at that. Laughing is an involuntary thing. You're trying to produce something out of someone's body. It's like, it, and people get mad that like the content of a laugh, it's like no comedian went on stage to mess with you. You're like, they went on stage to make you laugh first and foremost. And so when you go on stage, so what, what constitutes success is like last night I go on stage. I have jokes that are hundred percenters. I have jokes that are 80 percenters. I got 50 percenters. I got ones I've never even tried. So it's like you start with the hundred percenter in the middle you're doing and then you go to an 80 percenter to kind of work on that, see if you can change that. And then you go to like a zero percenter. You're like, let's throw this out there. And then you go back and then you do as many zero percenters and 80 percenters and 50 percenters. You're tinkering, you're working on things. And all the while you're taping it. Like I audio record every set and then you get off stage. Um, so back in the day, it would be like, did they laugh or not? Now it's like, did that new line work? Did did that direction feel like something I can really sink my teeth into? Uh, does it fit in my new hour? Like, you know, and when I did the Netflix special, um, it was like the most powerful thing in the world because I could, you know, I could, I, the Netflix special is all jokes that worked. I, I created a through line, but they were jokes that worked that took years to do. And then once that was out there and it's on tape, it you go, okay, now I don't have the crutch anymore. Now I don't have the jokes that work anymore. So it's like, what am I going to talk about now? Well, now you get to be the comedian that you would be today, not the comedian that like you were trying to be five years ago. So now my set is a one hour story about going to the beach with my family. And I don't, I've heard, you know, I'm very proud of it because I just, I, I like the, I like that I like what I'm talking about. I like that my family loves the bits. I like that they're, my parents' friends came in Dania Beach, Florida, and they loved it. I like that like people like us um, can watch a set and feel like, I hate the, you know, I hate the word because I've never really been able to use it, but feel represented. Like if you're someone who's, an adult who's also on their parents' cell phone plan, you and I know each other way more than you and any other comedian ever. 
like I I'm the comic and I own it and I think it's my power is that when I walk into a club, the, the security asks me for my ID because I look like I'd be there on a date and not getting on stage. And to some people, they don't want that from their stand-up comedian. They want weirdo, perverse, dark corner of my brain spoken for me. I'm not that. I don't really, I've never cared about the dark, perverse corner of my brain. I don't think it's fun to be counterculture. I don't, I don't find any pleasure in that. I find pleasure in telling a story about my parents where someone goes, that's my fucking parents and they're dying laughing and they're, you know, and they feel like really like seen. Just going back to the Netflix special. I love how you broke it down to 180 and you sort of go from there. Um, I would imagine that leading up to that, you're constantly experimenting, tinkering, tinkering, tinkering to make sure they're a hundred. Um, what's that like for you? You mentioned recording the audio and, and making sure it's right. Um, what's that like for you in order to get on that stage? I think it was in New York City and say, all right, I've got it. It's at 100 percent. What was the process to get it to that point? It's it's hard because. You know, like I did the Tonight Show uh, the first time I did it. I had all this time to work on it. And it's a five minute set so you can like go through it meticulously. When it goes to an hour set, you're like, okay, I got to work on the back seat, but I also got to work on the driver's seat. And I also got to make sure the driver's seat's connected to the back seat and that the button for the trunk works. You know, it's like a lot of different moving parts. So it's like, you're really, especially for a special, and you mentioned Chris Rock before, but like, I've heard him say, it's like, first you say the jokes, then you perform them. So it's like, it's a little like golf where it's like all these three phases. It's like, is the, the writing, the performance, you got to put it all together. And like, hopefully at the end you put your arms up and people put up perfect 10, you know, and what you start to realize, especially in this like clips world where you're trying to, you know, you're putting out minute versions is like, maybe you have one, you know, if you have one joke that is memorable from it, then you've probably done a great job. If you have, you know, because people aren't like, Everyone wants to say they're a fan of stand-up comedian, but like, it's not a very, it's getting bigger. It's definitely bigger than it was like 10 years ago. Like people know more stand-ups than they did before, but like, as far as like a stand-up fan, there's not that, it's a very niche thing. You know, like people are more fan of comedy, fan of, you know, like, they're not like keeping up with like, who are the new guys at the cellar? You know, like there are those people, which I think is like, good for fucking them. What a fun hobby. Like what a cool thing. Like, and I appreciate them, but like, there's not as many as you would maybe assume, you know, people come to me and tell me the same five people they know. And then they'll tell me one person they think is like inside who I've known. And is like a good friend of mine, you know, for years, you know, so, and <clears throat> I'm sure that happens to other comedians with me. I was out last night and a friend of mine was like, Oh my God, this, this girl came up to me and said beach by noon. And she goes, it's from this comedian, Jared free. And I'm like, well, that's cool. And he was like, yeah, it ruined my day. Like he's making fun of me, you know? So it's like, it's funny. Um, yeah. So like when you do the hour, like it's the cellar is a place, comedy cellar, New York city. When you do stand up here, it's 15 minute sets, showcase sets. When you go on the road, it's an hour. So like here it's like tinkering on, you know, the back seat, and then you go on the road and you're tinkering on the car as a whole. 
So bleeding into the special, I did like a bunch of like New York City shows in smaller rooms to prepare for it. But also I was preparing for something I was making myself. I paid for the special. So at the time, you know, it's like you're preparing to make this thing that like might be on YouTube, which is like no shade on YouTube. Like people are doing well from that. But that's like, you know, that's a little bit like, you know, I don't think very many people are, think that someone's spending $80,000 to put something on YouTube. You so know, when you say you paid for it, so you get the space, you get the production, and then you go to Netflix and say, here it is, and will you distribute it? And, and I made it. I made it at Netflix specs. There's two types of Netflix specials. There's one where they come up to someone, they go, here's a bag of money. Let's make a special together. And that's not my experience. My experience was, here's a special that I made with your rules, the cameras you want, the all the th- the editors you like, you know, all that stuff. And then I said, please rent it from me. So then they rented it for two years. So, and that was just a huge win. Again, like I'm just giving you the reality of the situation. Some people could hear that and be like, well, you know, you got the Netflix special. Like I, I, I'm not saying I, you know, I'm very happy, but like my experience is just, the way I had to play it, you know? So um, like to me, this, the person that has someone come up to them with a bag of money, you know, I, I envy that person that has that opportunity. I do think some luck goes into that. Like, I don't think that's like someone like that's casting. They're going, that's someone else going, I'm bringing you someone. And, and that's never been, I've never been cast in anything. You know, I've, I've, I've always made my own thing. So and then had to have people go, oh, I get, you know, because it's harder. I do think it's harder to be broad and speak for a big group of people who all who who go, oh, my God, that's just like my family. You, They have to really trust you to talk about their family. You know, you have to really nail it nice. as opposed to like talking from a different group where someone go, oh, I've never met someone like you before, you know. When I was talking to Drew uh, to prepare, he mentioned, yeah, like people see the Netflix special, but I went into DC with friends and saw Jared perform in front of five people. And so perhaps people see the Netflix special and they think someone just gave you a bag of cash and just show up and then you do it and they don't know. Oh, well, I've also been hustling for almost 20 years and I had, you know, five people at some random bar in Washington, DC. Right. Um, Can you talk about, the energy in a room with five people compared to the energy in the room when you know you're recording something that you're then that you put $80,000 into and you're trying to get on Netflix, does it change for you or do you show up the same way? You have to show up the same way while also acknowledging the reality of the situation. Like the position I'm in and what you just said is exactly where I live. It's like, like, okay, I'll give you an example. This is February 17th. I'm doing Town Hall. Town Hall is in New York City. It's a beautiful theater. It's 1,400 seats. The first show sold out. The second, we're about halfway there as I stand on Thursday, January 25th. That's amazing. That's wonderful. That is going to be the show of a lifetime. I'll come into that. I'm excited. Look at, I already know the date off the top of my head. Um... I'm going to Buffalo 
February 1st through 3rd. I'll do five shows at a club. Tickets right now, not great, but that's kind of the nature of the audience that I have. They'll buy week of. I'm not too concerned, but there will be a show that weekend. There's a Thursday show, then there's two Friday and two Saturday. The late show Friday will be a different wrestling match than the Saturday show early. Late show Friday, it's people that woke up to work on Friday. They're out late as if it's a weekend, but they're not really energized like a weekend. They're either tired. They've had a few drinks, and there's going to be 50 people there. Now, I can't come on stage with 50 people. I, Me, personally. Hello, Buffalo! You know, <laughs> you have to acknowledge. You have to fuck with it. You have to make fun of yourself. You have to look at the room and you have to you have to be present. And that's the thing that like you feed off of is when you're more present, then you can take then the 50 people there go, I saw this comedian tonight and he was making fun of the crowd. He's talking with us. He's going into bits. You know, I have to make someone when it's 50 people, you know, I'll probably I, I can tell you right now what I'll say. I'll say, hey, guys. I had them stop selling tickets at 50. I don't like when it's too full in here. Like, and I'll acknowledge it and we'll make fun of it. And there'll be someone that's too drunk in the front and I'll try and talk to them. And if and I'm praying that they're not an animal because you're praying that they can hear me. And sometimes they'll start talking over me and I'll have to like bring it back and, you know, or they have to leave, you know? So, and, but then you go, in that scenario, like I'm going to like take bits of mine and like do them in a slower way. Talk with the audience. I'm going to go, you know, if someone gets up to go to the bathroom, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, don't leave. I, I can't do this for 49 people. You know, like I'll make fun of it in the moment. I think that there's something to be said for that. I think if like you're again, there's not as many comic stand up fans for a stand up fan. They love that. They're like, oh, my God, I'm seeing like it's genuine. I'm seeing. Right. And I'm seeing the tour in Des Moines, you know, like I, I like I think that's kind of fun if you think about it. Like but then if you see the New York version, it's going to be the same show, but very different. It's not going to be me talking about the room. It's going to be me doing an hour 10 of like the jokes, performing them big, bringing like uh, doing being animated, things like that. Yeah, I would imagine there's like two thoughts that come to mind. One, when I watch your social media on Instagram, there's often engaging pieces with the audience and you're posting that. And those are hilarious because now they're trying to embarrass you, but you actually get to kind of embarrass them and have a razz. And, and so there are risks that you're taking. You mentioned, I hope they're not an animal. Like there's a risk there, but it's lower risk because of the environment. Like you're probably not going to take right. that risk when you're recording for Netflix. And it kind of reminds me of um, like in, in Silicon Valley, they say fail fast, like fail fast. Well, you don't fail fast if it's going to cost you your job. Right. Like, right. like the idea of failure being good. Well, it depends on the environment. Are you secure enough that you're not going to lose your, your, your life and your well being? Okay. Then, then you want to tinker, but failure often creates innovation. And so I would imagine those engaging 
moments for you also are times to tinker and experiment as well. And perhaps there's something that you say there in the moment that's genuine, that's real, that you can then take with you on a, on a it, when you're in New York City uh, in February. Well, that that goes that goes back to like the hundred percent, eighty percent, zero percent. I'm gonna do more zero percenters in the middle of, and, and I'm doing it in the middle because it's fail fast to that point where it's like. Oh, if it fails in the middle, they're only going to remember the last joke. I'll kill it on the last joke, you know? So, like, I'll make a comeback. There's room to come back. If it's like a They good... don't leave feeling like you suck and I wasted right. my money and I... What happened there? Stuff. What happened yeah. at the end? You know, yeah. like, you know, yeah. so... Um, but it's, you know, sometimes... There's also, like, an energy thing where it's like, listen, I've had shows for 50 people that are the best of my life. I walk away going everyone in that room got it like they understood that i was there to perform they were there to laugh they didn't laugh to a point that wasn't didn't make sense with the jokes i was doing like it all just worked and then i've done shows for a thousand people where you go what's wrong with these people what was that and those are the ones where you're like less and i wish i was you know i wish i could be better at this but the thousand people that are just like, ha ha ha, ha ha ha, ha ha ha, like laughing, like, you know, like animatronic, you know, whatever. You're like, those are the ones where you're like, it's hard to get out of that because you're in a theater and you're like, hey, I need you guys. Like a comedy club is almost like a small boat that's easy to steer. You know, a theater is like a big cruise ship, you know, like. When it doesn't go well, what do you do post? What do you, how do you like, if you bomb or you don't do well, or it's, it goes really poorly. Like what, what's your mindset or reflection after? Well, you, you go, you do have like a moment of like, what should I, how could I have, it's, you know, shows like puzzles, like, Oh, where did I, where did I screw that up? Sometimes you think it sucks and the, and that's just who they were, you know, like, and that's giving myself a lot of grace because I've done the jokes before, you know, like I know they work. I don't know what's going on here. Um, when you really bomb, like last night I did five shows at the cellar. I'd say three out of five were really good. And then there were two that I was like, and then I looked at the audience and I was like, and I was like, oh, I hated them, you know, like as a group. And that happens. Um, I think the one thing that like keeps me okay in a bomb situation is if I like if I did the work that I came to do. So like I kind of abide by with stand up. Like I need a new minute every week, and that's from a Bill Burr thing I heard once. Bill Burr was like, if you do a new minute a week, you'll have fifty two minutes in a year. That's a new hour. I've added on to that to say that if I did a new minute a week and 22 of the 52 are really good. I would have never gotten a 22 if I didn't try for 52, you know? So, and, but a minute a week is a good way to like, keep you honest because it's like, you're never like just resting on a set you already know works. So when, if I got off stage and it's bomb, but the one minute took me in a place that like, I can find positive in it if I, as long as I did that new minute. Um, but like bombing is different now than it was like, and not to say this doesn't happen, but like, it's very rare that like, I'll go on for 
an extended period of time where it's like nothing. I'm sure it happened when you first started. When it, yeah, when yeah. you when you first started, how did you have the confidence to keep going with it? Because a lot of people may start something and suck at it or bomb at right. it or or have one good night and one bad night. Um, and even like I want to talk about sports with you in a little bit, but like there you could see a rookie player, right? Like I just saw Victor Wembayama the other night. Yeah. Um, and he had a rough night. Uh, and then mm -hmm. I see him the next night and he played great. Like, and I I've done a lot of work with athletes over the years. And so I'm always fascinated. How do we recover? How do we rebound and still have the belief in ourselves or confidence or whatever you want to call it to go back out there and perform earlier in your career when you did maybe get bad feedback or, or struggled or didn't get the laughs, like what inside you made you keep going to the well and keep going? It's delusion. Um, <laughs> that's, that's part of it. It's also, um, so I was given good advice early on. And I think, P, it's funny because I think like you and I are the same age. And I think it doesn't matter who you are. If you start something, you have to have this like weirdly public display now of like, I'm starting something. And that's like, it, it can become a cage. So like if someone's like starting a business and then they start an Instagram page and then they put it on their Facebook, Hey, I'm starting a business. And like, we all know whether we want to admit it or not, that a group chat has been formed to talk shit about you and your new business. That's what just, are you doing? What is, he what doing? is this it's guy crazy. doing? <laughs> what? What's the business? And, well, the the best is on LinkedIn now. Like I remember I just changed the name of my company, but I was still doing the same thing. And people started saying, congrats, hope it goes well. Right. And I'm thinking like, no, I just like rebranded the name, but I appreciate it. Thank you for, uh, for the, the well wishes. Like I'll do the this, best I can. This is the thing. And this is the hard part. And I, I'm very aware of it. Maybe too much so. And I don't think it's good for our brains. I really just don't think. And it's hard to acknowledge, like, what you said is perfect. Someone congratulating you. I remember there was this girl. And because I do dating. You know, I, I've been giving dating advice out of my ass for fucking 11 years. And I call it, I'm saying dating advice. It's not dating advice. It's dating perspective. I'm being honest from a guy from a very normal place. Um, and I think that's why it's been appreciated for so long. It's like, I'm not trying to go viral by telling you, Hey women, you better do this. I'm not doing that. I'm speaking for myself in an honest way. That's sometimes icky, but also, but always truthful. And there was this, so I get like face to face with like a lot of these, like, people in the dating industry, like people trying to like be dating coaches or whatever. I remember this person, she like, she was a dating something. I can't remember what the thing was, but she used a graphic artist, like put her name on a building in New York city. And all these people started commenting, Oh my God, you're on a building in New York city. I knew you'd make it. And I'm like, no, this was fucking Photoshop. What What are you talking about? Every comment. Oh, your name and lights. And she's like responding like, thank you. I knew. Yeah. I, it, and again, like she, I, I think of this a lot because I'm like, you can either 
do what you did. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's just a name change. Or you can believe it at a certain point. Right. That you, you know, you can go back and go, I'm on the billboards. And it's like, no, you invented this. It's not real. You know, so. And that happens with comedy a lot. It's like. Well, in my world, it's hilarious. It's like I. I am the number one executive coach in the world. I'm like, is that a thing? Like who nominated you or right. best-selling author? I'm like, on what list are you best-selling well, author? This is the point is like, okay, listen, if that gets you another client and then you do a good job by that client, it worked. You know, like. Well, there it, is a it, question, it, right, Jared, around marketing. Cause so you, I think you, you threw this in there and I think it's worth noting, which is, like I wrote a book and the question they kept asking is who's your audience? And I kept saying, I don't know. Uh, for mm. this podcast, they'd be, I often get people before we even start recording, who's your audience? I go, I don't know. And a lot of people would say I'm dumb. Like I should know exactly who my audience is. And, and I think for you, it's, you had this bro Bible experience that was probably largely male. And then you had this Betches experience and then you've done a lot with the bachelor. And, and so you now have a wider ranging audience. I would imagine when we go see you, your standup, or if you look at the demographic, but I also had somebody I was at a conference once and I was on a panel and I was like, oh, this is really cool. I'm on the panel. Uh, awesome. Uh, and then I go into the audience for the keynote. And the first thing the keynote speaker says is that he bought Twitter followers and boosted his image. And because of that, he's gotten opportunities like keynoting this conference. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, am I doing it wrong? And I actually reached out to a few people in my industry. I'm like, did you buy, did you buy Twitter followers? Is that like a thing? Because that kind of seems unethical to me, but maybe I'm just too righteous. And there is a question around marketing and where those lines are. And are you duping someone or are you just, you know, exaggerating or are you just marketing? Um, and I, I look at your path because I've, I've, I remember the bro Bible and I remember your content early and I remember coming out and being like frat and like this sort of stuff and the involvement when I watched the Netflix special years, years later, and there it, it's almost like there was a narrow sort of niche and then you kept expanding, kept expanding, but I have not been intentional about that. I've just done things that excite me and I've been fortunate to do it that way. And I have an amazing network and you mentioned luck and there's a lot of different things that lead to wherever you go, but I've always started broad instead of starting with a niche. And when people ask me for advice, I go, I don't have good advice because I'm an N of one and I don't, I can't replicate what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. Um, so I don't know if you have perspective on that. Yeah, I, it's hard. It's hard because you always have to like, listen, it's hard because um, I, the whole buying followers thing, like, I don't really think, I understand what that guy's saying. I don't think it's helpful, but like, I, like that, what that person's saying, it's uh, that bought the followers that got the keynote speak that gave them gravitas because they had a certain following or a blue check mark. They're not wrong. That does matter to people. To some people, if you talk shit about someone and they have a million followers, they go, oh, they got a million followers, you know, like, and it's like the most, and, and they're just trying to shut you up. They don't want to be nuanced. They don't want to be thoughtful. It's like, do you like their stuff? No. Well, then. Who cares about their million? Like, well, they got a lot of people. And, you know, for me, you know, what you said, like duping people, it's like, 
sometimes if you if you're duping someone into going to your great show that you've prepared for and put time and effort and energy and you've written and and you've been care caring with it like i'll give you an example i yell at the bachelor and in my eyes to me it's the most fun i have every week um people watch it on my instagram stories and then i put it out on all these different platforms and in the middle of me yelling at The Bachelor, I put up my stand-up dates. When you come to my stand-up show, now, there, back in the day, before the special, in the special, I have show, jokes about The Bachelor. I made the jokes personal to my life. I worked on them. I didn't just do them for Bachelor audiences. I did them at the cellar for someone from Sweden. Like, I worked on those jokes. And... I'm proud of them and I believe in the the stories that go into them. Now I have no bachelor material. So I'm putting up, hey, come to my show in the middle of my bachelor show that I put together every Monday. I'm I'm duping those people. <laughs> you know, like they're a bachelor fan that suddenly they're at my show. They don't know what I do for stand-up. Maybe they've never seen the special and they go, well, I, I don't know this guy yells at the bachelor and then they're there and I'm talking about my parents and at the beach and I'm talking about being on the family plan. And the greatest compliment in the world is that they had a great time there too. Cause I duped them, you know, but, but I did the work. So, but now what we're seeing in stand up, and this is like the Matt Reif kind of controversy. The controversy is that Matt Reif was putting out crowd work clips he was on while and out. I don't know, right? I've, I've met him in passing. I don't know. He put out crowd work clips. Got this amazingly huge audience as TikTok can do. TikTok is like the heroine of social media. You could really pop off there. And he did. And then all I heard was like, they're like, he's a pretty good, you know, you, what you would hear amongst comedians is like, he's a pretty talented crowd worker who's done, who's done standup. I think since he's been like 18, 17, something like that. And he was on Wild and Out. Wild and Out is a very difficult show to do well on, you know, like, and, and uh, it's an improv show. Like you have to really be a performer to do well on that show. So for him to be on that show for a long time says a lot about, okay, he has the crowd work ability. And then what people got mad at is then they go to see his special on a wider platform. Again, the crowd work dupe them into, I'm going to watch the special. And they go, why does he make, I don't like these jokes. And you go, yeah, the, sometimes you get, duped you know and that was the controversy there wasn't even a real controversy it's just oh i did i thought i liked someone more than i did you know yeah it, it kind of reminds me we had pablo tori on the podcast um and pablo with his podcast and his media he basically is like using the sports world to tell stories that he's interested in. And so right. you're coming from the sports and then he almost described it as a ramp. He's like, all right, I know I'm getting you in here because you see me on PTI or around the horn or whatever it is right. on ESPN. But now we're going to talk about, you know, this soccer team in Israel that 
their main supporter is currently a hostage in Gaza or right. you came for sports. Now we're having uh, Larza Pippen and Marcus Jordan, Michael Jordan's son and Scotty Pippen's ex-wife and having them on to talk about their relationship. So, it, you know, it can be light, it can be deep, but it really is around like the human experience. And but the, that the, that is sort of a I don't think he's duping people. He's just saying you're here for sports and we're going to give you sports. And we're also going to give you things that interest him and make people think in a way, maybe beyond sports. But that's the problem. And the hard, the hardest part about today is like, you either get cast on PTI and people just trust that, <laughs> you know, you either get cast on ESPN and people go, well, ESPN approved. That means they're for real. Or, and what we're seeing in comedy, you have to do these extreme things to get people to like pay attention to you. And that's why you see a lot, like for me, and I talk about this a lot now, I, again, my power is how normal and, and relatable I am. That's my power. I don't think there's as crazy, the most, the thing that's most like my standup is going to be a meme more than another standup. Um, or there'll be bad imitations of me, bad attempts. Um, now you see like someone like, you know, if you want to pop off on, on TikTok, just do hashtag, you know, Middle East and do a bad joke about that. You'll, you'll find a, a hundred thousand views and a lot of, you know, people that are following you for like really annoying reasons, you know? Right. So it's like that temptation is like, you can't not acknowledge it. Like that, the idea of like, I'll just, and now you see like this, like you see these extreme versions of comedy that aren't even from honest places. Like they don't believe in these mean jokes or these attempts at like, you know, being woke humor. They don't really, both extremes they don't believe in it that's not how they live their life and but they're you know they're they're trend hunting you know <laughs> you know they're they're hashtag hunting you know it's interesting because we talked a lot about media today you've mentioned tiktok netflix we've talked about podcasting and you mentioned bill simmons early on and uh being a fan of bill simmons and it's interesting when i think of bill simmons because you have talked about i'm gonna be me like i'm gonna be genuine and and that's just, you're going to get me, whether it's on stage or off, I'm going to bring my personal life into it. You're going to get my parents, all of that. So you're not necessarily creating an alter ego or shtick, although I'm sure there is some in it. It's exaggerated. You perform, uh, yeah. Yeah, you're performing. But Bill Simmons, uh, I think of, like, he broke in as a fan. And he's this right. Boston fan. And his whole thing was being a fan. But the thing I'm bringing up with him is long form. Like when you were reading his stuff, it was long. His book, right. which I have over my shoulder somewhere, I haven't gone through it. Like it is a long ass book. And so we're in this world now, which is really interesting because everyone thinks the future is the meme and the future is right, a right. one minute TikTok. And even when I texted you, you're like, damn, man, we're going to talk for an hour. Well, here we are. We've talked for an hour. And I don't know about right. you, but like I could talk for another hour. Like it's right. long form to me. Everyone thinks kids these days, they don't have the attention span for long form. And I'm not so sure about it. They're digesting Harry Potter still. And that book, those right. books are massive. And so it's interesting when we think about the world will say to zag. And often when the world is saying to zag, there's an opportunity to zig. And 
Bill Simmons, I think, is a really good example. Like everything he's put out, it's a lot of long form stuff. And he built a massive following with long form uh, content. And so I'm curious to get your perspective on media for you and how you think about you're still doing podcasting. And, and by the way, one of the things that I find fascinating with your podcast is you collaborate and there's usually a team of people you're with your buddies talking and, and you're, you're riffing with them. So I'm, I'm imagining that is a little different than the individual spotlight of a standup. And it gives you another part of you that you don't get on stage. And, and I think uh, I'm going on a little bit of a rant, but I think one of the mistakes we make is to put ourselves in a box. Like you mentioned earlier and say that this is the way and just do that one way. And so we miss the opportunity to collaborate with other people, or we miss the opportunity to have the balls to go on stage and, and to go for it by ourselves. And I think we often say, Oh, we're one way when most people, and we see this with movie stars who then go back on Broadway and they just want to be in the theater when they're being paid way less to be in the right. theater, but they want to make that part of themselves come alive. So from a media standpoint, do you think about the different avenues and, and, and how do you think about it for yourself? It's just really hard because you know, it's like, it's like what you said, like, I don't know who my audience is. Like when someone's like, what do you want to do? What's the next thing? I don't know. I just want to be funny for money. I want people to enjoy my stuff. I want people to come to my shows. I want people to listen to the podcast. I want them to watch the bachelor live stream. If they like one of those things, haven't I done the job, you know, like, and if they, and sometimes you get in this position of like hating your own things, like, I you, you got to do it all, but you but also like I need to be better at being more discerning on what I'm doing. So like that's hard because it's like that takes a certain confidence. Like I agree with you. I think the long format of it at all. Like I do question boxes and on like ask me anything when I fly and. I'll get a lot of dating questions. And sometimes I'll write out these like really long answers and they're like writing pieces. Like they're like fun for me to write. I like writing them. And there's usually a joke. They're usually stupid. And I try to make them as funny as possible. And I'm like also trying to like answer their question. And, you know, every once in a while, someone will be like, they're so long. And I'm like, then you didn't like that one. You know, you. like it's not for you then. Like it's this not everything's for you. Also, you can unfollow me right away. No one for you know, like you can go. You don't like the long answer guy. That's okay. I trust the audience more than that, that they can go, Oh, this is the thing I don't get into. I love this other thing. If I was asked my five favorite comedians, Jared's on that list, you know. Um, that doesn't mean I don't think the people that go, Oh, you gotta see Jared Freed love everything I do, love every word out of my mouth. That'd be crazy. But you have to do to the media thing where it's like, again, like I want my stuff to be really good. Sometimes I'll do a joke that I'm like, should I put it out there? It's 15 seconds. I, I'll give you a really good example. The NFL playoffs are on Peacock, okay? I did a tweet. Um, it was like you spend all holidays with your family and the final the final round is teaching your dad how to get peacock for the game because it's yeah. like right after the you know tweet did well I'm like oh I should do a version of this on TikTok so I go on TikTok face the camera I'm like your final and it's a 15 second 
and it did well. Now I'm like, okay, I'm on the subject. I'm tinkering. I'm like, man, if you can't get onto onto Peacock to find the football game, like, how could you have confidence in anything else? Like, how could you believe that your political opinion matters? Like, like you're going to tell me who should be president, but you can't watch Americans, America's greatest game. Like, like, so I'm thinking about that and I'm like, okay, how can I say this to be the most, um, controversial? Like, I'm not even thinking in terms, but I'm like, I know that at the part of it is like, I'm just messing with boomers. Like, I'm just going to mess with boomers. Some, and this is the sad part is like, so I go, if, so I do the TikTok, it's up right now. So I do the first one, which is like family friendly. It probably has a hundred thousand views right now. I do the second one and it's the, hey, boomer, if you can't get on Peacock, then maybe you should have no confidence in any of your opinions ever. You can't even watch the football game. How could you be confident about anything else in your life? Okay, that is a more directed, douchier. At the heart of it, it's me fucking with my dad. I would say that to my dad. But some would say you're mean and you're you're picking on us. You're bullying. Well, now us you're. <laughs> well, now what you're doing is, if you understand the internet, you got the fuck boomer crowd on the <laughs> on the right, and you got the fuck you, I'm your parent, you know, have some respect crowd on the left. And those two people are idiots. I don't think that they'll ever be fans of mine. Like they won't, those two people will never get it. They'll never get the long form piece. You know what I mean? And, but I need them. They're like fossil fuel. They're bad for the environment, but I need them to make my car go. Because in that video, I'll get people that are like laughing that join me see my other videos, see my other podcasts, see my other, all the things I do. That's always been my dream. And you, and I, I always said, I'll keep putting stuff out there because someday I'm going to get a Netflix special and someone's going to go, who's this guy? How did I miss him? And then they're going to go to the Jared Freed universe and go, holy fuck, there's too much here to even Where do I listen go? to. What do I even start with? The Bachelor, a podcast? He's just, He's got the, what, what is this? And that's my dream. That's what I want more than anything. Oh my God, he's coming to my town. I can go to his show. Like that is like what gets me like really fucking pumped. And the problem is you hear from that person very little. That person is not loud. That person is not divisive. That person is just you and I getting coffee. And then like every now and again, they come up to me while I'm having coffee going, hey man, I, my wife got me into your stuff and it's just so much fun. Thank you. I you know, just want to let you know. And you're like, where, you know, I deal with you so little, but you're the reason yeah. it's all there, you know? Yeah. There's a, there's like a polarity there, which is, I don't need to be all things to all people and I need to meet people where they are. And I don't want them to unsubscribe because I, I caused them to go off the ramp. Um, but I still want to be me. And so I, I think that's something that I, I go back and forth on with, with it's all my stuff. Um, I want to finish with, with sports, as I said, so you're wearing a Boston Celtics hat. I mm -hmm. I had a friend who went to Needham. So I know about the Needham Rockets. Uh, there you go. There's your Needham Rockets shout out that you weren't expecting. Go Rockets. Um, and we could do Jewish geography after this, if you want to figure out who it is. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, we talked about Penn state, you mentioned Bell, Sim Bill Simmons and your brother works for the Chicago bears. And so I was always watching you and I'm like, 
I'm watching you on the NFL. I, I love watching like Good Morning Football and I'm a big NFL guy. We had Ryan Poles on the podcast. Um, I know multiple people with the Bears, but I don't know your brother. Uh, and Drew's like, yeah, his brother works for the Bears. And I'm like, oh, that's why he's wearing a Bears hat. Um, yeah. And, and so like, let's talk about fandom real quick because uh, you're a Boston guy. Boston people tend to wear Boston Celtics hats like you are, or Boston Red Sox hats, um, but your brother working at the Bears. And this speaks to me because I have friends all over sports. <laughs> so uh, I'll be watching games and I'm like, I kind of want this guy to win because it'd be nice for him. But I kind of hate that team. Like I, I was right. raised to hate that team. As you think about sports fandom and your journey and your brother being in sports, um, what's changed for you as far as how you think about being a fan or even going on the NFL network and becoming friends with people that you're watching on TV and then seeing that whole production. Um, what's changed for you and your relationship with sports? It's easier for me to like, look at sports from a macro level living in Manhattan. I have to acknowledge that. Like I'm in a transplant town. Everyone here doesn't give a shit about sports. They like sports, but they don't care. Boston, if I was in Boston and you're just under the cloud of rah, 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 Boston, it'd be a lot harder for me to not to be like a macro sports fan. Does that make sense? You know, like I because I growing up in it and again, I moved away at 18. I moved, went to Penn State, went directly to New York. I've been in New York 16 years. So like almost as long as I was in Boston. So my connection to sports changed. It used to be Boston and nothing else. And no one believes in us. Boston's strong. I think the more you travel, the more you kind of eye roll that stuff. The more you get out of the bubble of wherever you're from, the more towny you are, the more you can live in kind of like a blissful naivete, which I, I do. I do envy. I am a fan of stories, drama. Sp you know, I like WWE, male male soap opera. Like I, I like a storyline. I just got invited um, to a Royal Rumble party this Saturday, and I didn't even know. So this is what when this is guy, it? So it's this Saturday, and this is what this guy does. He told me this last night, and unfortunately, my wife's going away to your to New York City, and so I've got the kids. But he's like, dude, here's what I do every year. I get, I get. 10 people to come over. I guess there's 30 yeah. people in the Royal Rumble. I haven't watched WWE and I don't know how long. I he's love like, the Rumble. And then he's like, we bet. So each person gets like yeah. three random people and then they're all cheering for their guys to win. I thought it was the most brilliant idea ever. And he's like, you're going to think I'm an idiot. I go, no, I think that's incredible. I've uh, heard of people doing that. I think it's fantastic. I love wrestling. I've loved it for a long time. I, I, you know, you fall in and out of it. Like I haven't watched wrestling in a long time, but like I, you know, I, I once at one time I was every week and now there's storylines that I hear about and I go, maybe I'm going to go back in. Maybe I'll be a wrestling guy again. You know, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't, that, 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 that's a great idea. And I, I've heard of that before. I, I think it's fantastic. I didn't know Royal Rumble was this weekend. Um, So yeah, I, uh, so sports, it's like, like you're in DC. I love Tony Kornheiser's podcast. I listen to that religiously. I've been on as a guest. I think Tony's perspective is where I land on sports curiosity, uh, the storylines of it all. Like I, you know, Buffalo missing the kick, 
you know, wide right, Scott Norwood, then you redo it. I've been to Buffalo. I've met those people. They're all scarred. They're all lacking confidence. The, the idea that a whole town because of a sports team is fucked up <laughs> is like very interesting to me. And I'm saying this as I'm trying to sell tickets to go to Buffalo and they're not <laughs> selling well. And I went on the local radio. I can't help myself. I go on the local radio. They're like, and I'm like, is it going to be okay? What am I, am I walking into a Shiva call? Yeah, they're fuck. like, what are you talking about? They, they go and I start going, I start talking to them on the radio about how screwed up Buffalo people are and how they have no confidence. And they're like, and then I'm like realizing that. And I go, well, you can buy tickets to my show. And they start laughing. And so I like that when it comes to sports, like, like to me, Tom Brady is like the most heroic figure in sports. And I get to him through Boston, but I appreciate him as an adult. So, um, and like the work and the, Again, talk about believing in yourself when no one else did. This guy was, you know, even before he was the third stringer, he was sharing time at Michigan as the starter after winning the Big Ten. They he brought started in as the sixth string quarterback as a freshman. Sixth, sixth string. <laughs> his story is just like, and again, his story is like a luxury story. It's not like. It's not like he grew up in tattered rags on the streets. I'm not saying that, but like it's an actual approachable story in my ego filled male mind, you know? So I, I like sports for that. And I like the, the story angle of it. Like I, I love watching the bears. The, the Patriots don't really interest me at the Patriots. Haven't interested me in a long time, you know, like even when they were winning, I was like, it's kind of boring. Like it's fun, but it's, it's getting boring. It was like having an, a, a son who was an Olympic swimmer. Like, yeah, we won, we, we won counties again, you know, like, and, and again, those were fun times and I appreciate that era, but now that it's broken up and like, you know, my brothers with the bears, I'm like, I, I watch every bear and I do feel like I have skin in the game. Like it's, you know, I talk to him after the games, you know, and the bears might be, the, I, we had Ryan polls on the podcast and they might be the most intriguing team going into this off season. Cause there's a million possibilities as far as what they can do for those that don't follow it. They have the number one pick, but they also have a quarterback who's shown promise. Um, and so they have to figure out what they're going to do. And they, they're rising kind of like the Detroit lions were rising a year ago. And so like, it is a fascinating situation. Uh, add in, add watch. into that. You're totally right. They're so fascinating and add in the economics of it. The, you know, if you, the economics, the game theory of it, uh, where it's like, okay, you have a quarterback, the rookie quarterback contract is worth more than some quarterbacks. Like, isn't that like the most interesting thing? Like just the idea, you don't care what quarterback you have, but the fact that they're on a rookie salary makes them more valuable. And then the fact that they're off of the rookie salary makes you look at them in a whole different way. The same player one year later and you go and i i don't think that's talked about enough like the rookie quarterback salary like it's it's mentioned but like just the way we look at people like so and and that's with sports like and to me when people ask about stand-up stand-up is the most athletic art form you have to get on stage you either do well or you don't you either win or you lose it's undeniable 
you can hem and haw and go, well, the crowd wasn't good. Oh, mm, you know, I met it. No, 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 no. It's a what? It's tennis. It's you versus the audience and the other people, you know, and, and, and the other people around that show and you either win or you lose. And, and you have to go out of the house to do it. You have to leave. And like, you can think you got a good joke, but you don't know until you go on stage. So the last thing we'll close on is you brought up ego earlier and then you're bringing sports to uh, comedy, which is my world. Like I love just the intersection of all of these things because I think we can learn from each of them to figure out how we can be better. And if someone's listening to this and they're in business or they're whatever they're doing, like they're a surgeon, like, all right, maybe there's something I can take from it. And that's how I get better. Um, I was talking to somebody in sports recently and we were talking about ego compared to credit and I thought this was really interesting because you mentioned ego earlier and I think of Tom Brady or I think of uh, what you're talking about to go on stage. It requires some ego. It requires like, Hey, I want the ball. I want the mic. I've got something to say. I've worked my ass off. Give me the ball. Give me the mic. There's ego. Take any basketball player, Kobe Bryant, Larry Bird, Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan, whoever you want to, there's ego involved, but credit is something completely different. And so um, it's interesting because I think, we sometimes mesh those things together. Like, all right, they, they have the ego, so they want all the credit. And here you are now, like um, after a Netflix special, and now you're probably getting more recognition and more opportunities. And I'm curious for you, like when we first started this conversation, I was like, Hey man, I love your stuff. I love that. And you're like, okay, thanks. Like, can we move on? Like, let's, let's go. Like, how much do you value your own ego? And then how much do you value getting credit uh, how many downloads or streams the Netflix special had, or you know, how important is it to, for you to get the validation beyond the laughs in the stand-up room, uh, in, in the cellar? How much is the credit of doing it important to your ego? Um, I hope I, I guess I hope I understand it correctly, but I guess it's really hard screaming at people come to my show i swear i'm funny Mm -hmm. and it's it's and again you have to put in the work to like believe that um and it's like you're the guy who bought the twitter followers like he's trying to buy credibility because he believes his ego is so big that he believes what he says is so good but you just don't know it yet let me jump in. So you you do all this, you prepare, you know your your stuff for the next Netflix special is 100. Their jokes are going to work. You've tried, you're tested, they're good. But then you don't get the Netflix special. Let's say you don't get, or, or it gets panned once it gets on Netflix. Like I'm sure there are times where it doesn't quite work out. Um, right. How much is like the outcome or the credit? And I think about sports team too, right? The Bears, let's just use them as an example. Like they're moving in the right direction. They're moving in the right direction. Right. Well, one of the things that might happen if they draft a quarterback at one is that they reset and they take a chance on a quarterback, no matter how hyped the quarterback is coming out, they don't know how they're going to translate to the NFL. Right. And so right. there there's this, like, there's this tension here. Like I think performers need to have ego, um, but do they crave the applause or the credit or the accolades? Like, do they need that to fulfill them or do they, find the fulfillment in knowing, Hey, this stuff, I I did what I could. And I don't need, I don't need to be out there and get an award. For example, like I know I did good. I know I killed it, whatever it might be. It's hard to be able to move forward without credibility. 
mm-hmm. it's hard. So you do kind of need these like different val and not just and for and just to not have to deal with it anymore. So like I'll give I'll tell you a story. There's a thing called Just for Laughs. It's in Montreal. It's the biggest comedy festival in the world. It's every year. Every year they have a group called the New Faces of Comedy. When you're in the beginning of doing stand-up, all they made a movie, The Big Sick. If you go watch it, it's all the back, the the B story. The background of that story is about this comedian who's trying to get into the Just for Laughs New Faces. It is the credit that once you have it, you can move on from it. People used to, back in the day, you'd go to New Faces and they NBC would be like, here's your development deal. You'd hear these stories. That's not happening today because that just doesn't happen generally. It still matters because once your New Faces, I, okay, we'll talk to him. Other people like him. You know, like he's been kind of pre-approved and that wears off. Don't get me wrong. That doesn't last forever. But in the beginning, it was like hard to like meet with an agency or like to get like to like get taken seriously without being. So then I get I I think I was five years in or whatever. I get new faces. And I go and the, the, the new faces show is at a big theater in Montreal. Everyone goes. It's like. They give you two shows. You do five minutes on each show. The second one is the fun one. The first one is the industry one. And I decided I was going to wear a suit. I don't know why I wanted to wear a suit. I just was like, I want to wear a suit. I'll make this in. And then I was first on the first New Faces. And the guy hosting, he's a Canadian comic who has a following at the time. I don't know if he's as big as he was. And it's the American new faces. So like a Canadian comic doesn't really know how, or they, I don't think they feel in their blood how important it is for the people on the show. So he goes on and he's hosting and he's fucking around. He doesn't give a shit. And then he, he goes up and he's kind of bomb and he goes, okay, uh, let me bring out our first new face. And he goes, ah, from Needham, Massachusetts, Jason Freed gets my name. I come out like a fucking bat out of hell and I'm just like, I got to bring this crowd back of industry people, which is even harder. And he got my name wrong, but I'm not even, who cares? I'll move on. And, you know, when you're trying to bring a crowd back from bomb, it's like you're lifting up this really heavy object. It takes a minute, then you get a little bit under it and then you get your body under it and then you can push it up. But it, it takes some like, in the beginning, it's just really hard and feels like you're walking through mud. And I think I got them at a certain point in my five minute set, but I remember walking away and that was my opportunity. That was it. Five minutes, Montreal. You got the new faces, you got the credibility, you got the thing you wanted, but the set wasn't my, I walked away. I remember I'm in this old theater and I went and sat in the the stairway, like in the back stairway, in my suit, feeling stupid. And I'm like, fuck, that wasn't it. That's not gonna, you know, SNL's in the crowd, Netflix is in the crowd, Hulu, NBC, ABC, CBS, everyone has people in that crowd. And I'm like, that ain't, no one's gonna talk to me after that. Like I, and I, so it, it kind of goes back to like the ego of like, okay, I got the thing, like 
I'm wearing the sash. I'm getting congratulations the whole weekend. New faces, because you're 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 in the group. You've got pre-approved. But I had the set that like no one was gonna like give me the next thing. I knew it. And I was like, you have to put a smile on. You can't be a fucking, you gotta be a mensch. You gotta walk around, shake hands, introduce yourself to people. I ended up getting cast on an NBC sports show um, that was on Snapchat and it was called, it was a game show. And I did that around the country. It was one of the most fun things I've ever done. I hosted at different college football games around the country. It was fun. And it was through that experience, but like Taylor Tomlinson was on my show too. And, you know, Netflix was walking her away to her Netflix suite. And I was in a, you know, in a gutter, you know, and, and again, like I had the material, I was ready. Um, I got the credibility. Um, and then I literally two months later, Betches called me to start you up. And I didn't think of you up as like, I was just like, oh, I'll start another podcast. They got a big audience. This is fun. And I like the Betches. I like Jordana and Sammy and Aileen. I was like, this will be fun. And I'm doing dating advice and dating topics for women. I'm at this, I'm, 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 I'm in front of the audience. I think that would be best for this podcast. So, but not thinking. And then that took off within half a second. That was the thing. And those people came to my shows and like, I was ready for them. Like I, I had the material. It just, that night wasn't my night. And I, I'll like, I'll never forget that my entire, like, but again, but that's like one of those things where it's like, it's like having your name on the wall that, that you put on there. <laughs> like, Ooh, you, you're a dating coach now. It's like, I knew, I knew the story. I knew the reality. So. Yeah. To close, it's like, yeah, you have to believe in yourself. You have to have a little bit of that ego, but the credibility helps. And then you have to still do it. Like you still have to, right. you still have to do the work. Like you said, when we were starting off and you still have to be good. And at the end of the day, quality always wins out in, in any industry. Like you said earlier, sometimes opportunity doesn't always present for people of quality, but it's hard to maintain success if you don't have quality. Um, Jared, this has been a blast. Uh, obviously, you, you've got like multiple platforms. I know Instagram's a big thing uh, where you're active. I'm not on TikTok, so I don't know if you're on TikTok. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm not on. really on Instagram that much either, but that's a whole story for another day. Uh, people want to follow your journey. Obviously, you have your website, jaredfreed.com. Uh, they want to listen to podcasts, J-Train podcast. Where's the best place for them to continue to follow you? Thank you for having me. This was a blast. Sorry if I didn't shut the fuck up. Um, I, I do... I, jaredfree.com for all my tour dates if you're in new york i'm doing that show at town hall on the 17th um if you're in buffalo please come please come it's going to be me and 50 people on a friday night um jared freed on instagram wizard of ha on if you just go to my instagram it's all there and it's like kind of the hub of the wheel um but uh yeah instagram jared freed and then jaredfree.com is to get don't go to like some people are like your tickets cost seven thousand dollars wow you're really doing it i'm like you have gone to the wrong website um <laughs> so jaredfreed.com for all the ticket stuff you can just google my name it's all there yeah
F R E on Instagram. F R E I D uh, is the last name. And he's also on Twitter at Jared Freed, I think is the at handle. J Train 56. There it is. And I didn't even know you were on Twitter until this morning. And I was like, oh, he's on Twitter. I'm going to follow him. And it was actually cool. As I was looking at your feed, I was like, oh, he actually posts some. He's active here. So I'm at I'm at Brian oh. Levinson as well. You do like little snippets on Twitter, as you mentioned earlier. It's like a I think of throwing. Twitter as like a as like a notebook to write and just see if it works. It's throwing shit against the wall. Um, I yeah, I like Twitter. I It sucks what happened with it. Just like I'm like, it annoys me. I'm on I'm on threads i use that i literally i'm putting up again like uh, that was a i'm not an extremist so like twitter was always like my fun notebook i'll write some things i'll give some opinions and then you go and then you find out people are like it's horrific here i'm like well i've been doing this like fun stupid thing can you just like yeah, yeah. so threads i'm there too so if you don't like twitter you can find the same tweets on threads i copy and paste them so Perfect. I'm also on LinkedIn at Brian Levinson, and you can listen to all of these podcasts at strongskills.co slash podcast. Jared, great to see you again. Uh, thanks for the time. And uh, we we shouted out Drew Carr enough, so I don't think we need to do it at the end, but appreciate you coming on the podcast and looking forward to seeing your show soon. And for those that haven't seen Jared in person, it is, it's a blast. And I've seen, I think I've seen you a couple of times now and um, like, it's awesome. I just love your Thank comedy. You. I love your stuff. So uh, definitely check them out. I don't know how many people are in Buffalo that are listening to this, but if we have Buffalo people, <laughs> uh, go check Jared out. If there's Toronto people. I love Toronto, Boston. I'm coming home. I, I, I got like 30 dates. It's jaredfree.com. I'll go on to Podbean, which is what hosts us, and I'll see the demographic map, and I'll uh, I'll let you know if we have one person. Please let me know. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jared. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. I have jokes that are 100 percenters. I have jokes that are 80 percenters. I got 50 percenters. I got ones I've never even tried. So it's like start with the 100 percenter in the middle. You're doing and then you go to an 80 percenter to kind of work on that. See if you can change that. And then you go to like a zero percent. You're like, let's throw this out there. And then you go back and then you do as many zero percenters and 80 percenters and 50 percenters. You're tinkering. You're working on things. And all the while you're taping it like I audio record every set. And then you get off stage. Um, so back in the day, it would be like, did they laugh or not? Now it's like, did that new line work? Did did that direction feel like something I can really sink my teeth into? Uh, does it fit in my new hour? Like, you know, and when I did the Netflix special, um, it was like the most powerful thing in the world because I could, t- you know, I could, I, the Netflix special is all jokes that work. I, I created a through line, but they were jokes that worked, that took years to do. 